The views, statements and opinions expressed in this episode are solely our own, including our guest, and these do not necessarily represent those of our employers. Hi, I'm Georgie. And I'm Bridget Theron. Welcome to our podcast, Diversity and Inclusion, Satisfying the Tip Box. In today's episode, we're going to cover the toll of disrupting EDI and earning your past and crafting the future. I'd like to welcome a very special guest on our episode today, Dr. Shivani Sharma, who is a champion of inclusive behaviour change and the head of psychology, sport and geography at a university in the UK, and soon to be moving into a bigger role for people, culture and inclusion. Welcome, Shivani. Can you give us a quick introduction to yourself? Thank you. And thanks for having me on the podcast. Very excited about this. Um, So as you said, I'm Shivani Sharma. I'm a psychologist by background. I am did my uh, PhD in autism research, and I've since pursued a career in academic uh, management in higher education. Uh, So quite a varied role looking after a range of different disciplines. So people, culture, inclusion is a big part of that. Um, As well as that, this is a theme that runs really strongly in my research in psychology, which is all about Uh, representing a wider range of voices in health research so that the impact of our work is felt by a broader range of communities. Thank you and welcome to our podcast and you said PhD have you always wanted to do a PhD? Um, Actually it's something that happened to me um, quite by chance Um, I think I had as the first to university in my family uh, quite a Americanized TV view of what my career might be like. Um, so I was originally going to do uh, medicine. However, my brother-in-law uh, put me off, who is a GP, um, partly because he was helping me with my chemistry homework and got me zero out of 10, which made me think, oh, if he can't do it, how am I going to do it? Um, so I pursued my passion for psychology, much to the upset of my father. And At the end of my PhD, uh, sorry, at the end of my undergraduate degree, uh, the head of department at the time just said, why don't you do a PhD? And I was kind of like, what is that? And he looked at me just just like, are you crazy? What do you mean you don't know what a PhD is? What do you think all these doctors and professors teaching you? How do you think they, they got to where they are? And I said, to be honest, I just came to university to get my head down, get my degree and to get out into the world and, you know, earn a decent living for myself. I've never had time to even think about these kinds of things. So it was him who encouraged me that do it, you'll love it. It will open up lots of different things for you. Um, And yeah, I just went with his advice. That's amazing. What a journey. And you're, like, like I said, you're a leader now in academia. And your professor at that time was correct in hindsight. Yeah, no, he totally was. Thank you again, Shivani, for that introduction. So very much in terms of disrupting EDI, you've been a quite a main player. So we're going to go into that and find out a little bit more. So disrupting EDI often requires individuals to really confront resistance and push boundaries. And everyone that's involved will know this. Can you tell us or describe to us a challenging moment in your career where you felt that, you know, that personal toll of this work and how you navigated it? 
Yeah, so um, coming to EDI isn't um, an EDI leadership isn't something that was part of my career right from the outset. It's just been a natural progression from the different roles that I've had. Um, so I can always remember the first few senior executive meetings that I attended um, in my role as a, the EDI lead for the area that I'm based within. And when I would present something, the biggest challenge I experienced was stunned silence. Nobody wanted to respond to the issues I was raising. And I'd often go away from the meetings thinking, is this because I've got it absolutely nailed and I'm talking complete sense? Or is it because I'm a relatively young academic, Asian, female? At that time, I'd recently returned from work to work from maternity leave as well. So I was like, or is it my attributes that makes it difficult for people to uh, challenge back? So as someone who doesn't like to lead on my own and is really inclusive, collaborative, it was quite a difficult space having such... Um, reaction of just silence always um, and not being sure what that means in terms of taking the work forward because it was really important to me that everyone owns that so I'd often find myself um, touching base with people afterwards from that meeting or the meetings that I was attended saying you know what did you think about what I presented and uh, why do you think no one else is responding um, and I'd get a range of different responses back but I found that over time continuing to just put things out there in a supportive way in a way that made it clear that I really want to hear and gather everybody's views um, doing some additional training around equality diversity inclusion and um, the ambition of the organization where I'm based over time I'd say that's completely flipped now um, where we have nothing but open honest frank discussions and uh, I'm certainly not getting my way all the time because of that which is um, a complete u-turn uh, but you know a positive direction going forward. Yeah I think that's um you've made some good points there and I just wanted to touch on kind of how you found it being so young in a high up role within higher education especially in DNI. like have you had any challenges that you can kind of speak on? Yeah, so I think coming into um, leadership in any kind of role, even if it's not EDI based specifically, is difficult when you haven't got years of experience or, or know how things operate. Um, but I think learning quickly and having the right people around you. So I was very fortunate, I think, to have senior managers who spotted talent in me that perhaps I didn't recognise at the time either. And I always appreciate that they found a reason to put me in scope and not make my um, years of experience be a, or specific roles that I hadn't perhaps had be a reason to say, oh, well, you can't be long-listed or short-listed for this. Um, they found a reason to say, what have you got that you can bring to this and why is that um, an actual requirement for this job um, as opposed to all these other things that might not be essential to actually do the job? So they invested that time and support. Um, and then I'd say in relation to learning how to lead on EDI, um, I never assumed that the um, diversity attributes with which I associate make me an expert. So I absolutely went out there and engaged in whatever training I could. Um, and that really helped just to 
understand more about culture change because the biggest element of this work is that people are often putting in solutions to issues without thinking through the actual cycle of change or why is that solution the right thing to address the issue um, so I think that thinking has really helped me always reflect on why is this the right way to address a particular challenge we're having and what is the theory of change behind that so the best example I would give is mentoring doesn't solve everything um, so that might often come with a um, belief that there's a skills deficit you're trying to address in your workforce or in your student population or alike um, so it's that kind of thinking that that training helped me bring to the way in which I try and lead ADR, EDI, which is always to think about what are we trying to influence and how is the best way to achieve that? And then to go back and evaluate that that did have an impact and refine and constantly reflect. Yeah, I think also, um, like you said, around the education piece, I think because it's such a EDI, is such a huge spectrum. There's so many different areas that it covers. It's kind of an ongoing um, thing that we need to c- consistently and continue to kind of educate around the different areas because we're not going to know what someone else might may struggle with compared to someone else with different characteristics etc so one, one thing I really like Shawani that you said and it resonates with me is it's not about tenure it's always about the value and the impact that that individual brings to their team but also their organization that resonates a lot with me because i've i've kind of experienced that in the past in terms of mentoring uh, again to georgie's point um and edi as a whole edi is so huge so it's not a one off destination it's a continuous learning journey and i want to put it straight to you shivani as a human being how did you feel about those challenges that you faced being you know the youngest or one of the youngest professionals in leadership how did you feel when you were faced with those challenges and resistance that's an interesting question because I think in part I was already a little bit used to it because um, when I came to um, higher education generally my trajectory in terms of the posts that I've held has not been that unusual but the speed of it has been and that's again all credit to the people who tried to help me see where I could get to and spotted that talent as I said and and made found reasons to put me in scope and then of course it's it's down to me to perform in in those um, settings so I was kind of always already used to it because I was you know quite at quite an early stage of my career line managing professors who are particularly senior and that that wasn't an easy process either So I think what I brought to this is um, a thick skin, which my PhD supervisor always told me, regardless of what you do in academia, um, you know, we often send our work off for criticism and and peer review and feedback. So just learn to not take things too personally. Um, So although I was quite comfortable coping with um, the challenges in the workplace of trying to lead, What I found more difficult, actually, is that through the process of engaging in a lot of this training that I'm talking about, um, I actually deepened my own understanding and awareness of issues that made me reflect and then relive, I suppose, some sort of pain in situations that I have encountered over, say, my childhood, early adolescence, etc., life 
to date. Um, so it was reinterpreting those scenarios that was actually the more difficult aspect, which then combined with the kind of challenges that I've experienced about that, you know, you know, talked about like the silence in trying to lead this work, often being a lone voice. It just made that all a little bit more of an isolating process. Um, so I would say that as a working class kid who entered higher education, um, most of my life I've been trying survive the environment that I'm in do my best to get on it the focus was always get a good job you know make sure that you can financially support yourself so I didn't really although um, we often talk about decolonizing institutions etc especially in the education area my family didn't have conversations about colonialism um, I find that term actually quite exclusionary for some student populations that it might matter to the most so unpicking some of this stuff and reliving all of those experiences was, um, as I said, some of the reasoning behind why I might have been treated in a certain way, which up until that point, I never really had the time because I was so busy trying to just get through everything, work my way through university, etc., or just perform in these early roles. Um, that you don't really think, oh, that might have been because of my ethnicity or a mix of my ethnicity, age and my gender. So that was really, really difficult. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, it would be really great if you've kind of got any advice to the audience or anyone that's kind of battling with biases, things like that from your own experience, if you've got any kind of advice on how to move through that and keep going, essentially. I think having a space that is safe where you can offload is really important. Um, And this is something I'm advocating for is that for people who are in EDI leadership, that you almost you do need that place for almost your own therapy, if you like, because, you know, you're often listening to other people's stories of pain. Um, It's also true that many a time the people leading EDI type work identify with a particular uh, protected characteristic themselves and may have their own experiences. So you're layering all this together um, and it would be quite difficult not to be affected by all of that so first recognizing that it's absolutely okay to feel that so be kind to yourself and then have that safe space whether that's in a professional domain um, or outside of work where you can um, share how you're feeling check in with yourself um, and you might sometimes need to schedule that in like physically in your diary because we all get so busy we forget the first person you need to look after is yourself, but that's probably often the last person that we think about. Um, so I have, the more I've spent time in work with EDI, whether that's research related or in my actual leadership practice, um, I've really tried to work on those spaces. So they are in my diary now, um, and I do use it as an opportunity to share just what's going on for me, to check my temperature internally, Um And I do that both in a professional setting. And I have to say that my husband is um, always listening to what's going on at work for me. Um, So he is, I would say, my biggest cheerleader and biggest supporter, um, who I must say started off saying to me, um, you're always talking about equality, like, give it a rest. And then something happened to him in the workplace. And he just came home and was like, I absolutely get now why you do what you do. So that was, yeah, so he's always there for me. That's uh, that's so lovely to hear, Shwani. And what's his name? Let's give him a shout out. Uh, Makesh. Makesh. 
Big, big shout out to Makesh uh, for looking after Shivani and also enabling Shivani to keep going with EDI because, you know, some of these EDI topics are quite difficult as well to process uh, as an individual. So shout out to Makesh. Now, you've mentioned, Shivani, that, you know, in, in the workplace, it's um, the toll of being a disruptor can be quite difficult at times. And I'm just going to put it out there. You're actually not just a disruptor, you're a trailblazer because other people, what, you're, what you've achieved and what you're going to achieve now in the EDI space, in leadership, in academia, that a lot of people want to do that, you know. So you're inspiring not just yourself and like the people around you but there's a wider range of audience that we haven't even considered that you're inspiring so kudos to you now i'm going to put it to you though in terms of the toll disrupting edi in the in the workplace have there been any challenges in terms of some of the edi initiatives that you've tried to run and you couldn't get off or it's just been shut down and how did you navigate those so sometimes it's about timing it's about knowing how much to push in that particular setting. So there have been things that I've um, maybe taken to an executive group um, and have not really been considered very much and and um, were, were basically rejected perhaps outright. Um, and I might be really passionate about that internally, but I recognise that maybe that's not the right time to do that particular initiative. And then lo and behold, the context around you, whether that's internally in your organisation, socially, politically, might shift. And it may be a time to revisit that. Or sometimes something may not work for your area, but another area, it might be absolutely the perfect timing for. So to give you an example, um, at some point I developed um, a proposal for um, funded PhD studentships for those who come from a widening access background. So here I was trying to address the talent pipeline of how many people from minority ethnic backgrounds specifically are doing PhDs and entering academia. And and that's that pipeline. So we see senior leaders eventually in academia representing more of the face of the student body. Um, My school didn't actually accept that at the time because they said, you know, we've got Um, good representation at postgraduate level even though I was saying well but that's not there is a leaky pipeline from if we look at the composition of our undergrads to those at postgrad still I I recognize that it's above the sector average but it's still not we're not taking it the same type of student uh, population to postgrad level my school didn't accept that but another school did adopt it so it still had impact and that was because absolutely a member of that executive was quite bought into just supporting EDI overall um, and took it to them and said, hey, this came to our school, but we didn't do this. How about, you know, are you interested in this? Share it amongst yourselves if anyone wants to take it up. So timing is critical. Sharing, of course. And sometimes It's just not giving up in that particular setting. So I've had an initiative where I asked the whole institution to adopt, um, to become a signatory of something in particular. And I was being told that actually we don't need to do this because of X, Y and Z. Um, And I presented some evidence that said, actually, we might think this is working in practice, but I can tell you as someone who's involved in these processes, that I didn't even know this as an EDI advocate, and I've been perhaps somehow inadvertently perpetuating disadvantage. So that also helped. So I think timing, 
knowing when not to give up as well and sharing as widely as you possibly can have been some of the strategies that have really helped us push forward um, and to deal with just not making sure that the impact is just sitting in little boxes in certain areas, but having as much benefit as possible. That's so insightful. And um, I'm, I'm going to ask you then, have there ever been any talks about not having budget or, you know, money behind this? Because that's an important part as well. You need to have the time, but also the kind of budget to do this. Has there, have you ever faced anything with, we don't have the budget to do this EDI initiative or not? So I wouldn't allow that personally to be a response to me and I think that speaks to my sort of character and the um, privilege that I've enjoyed now from having grown in senior leadership in the organization where I am um, is that I think the impact that I've had in the role speaks for itself and therefore money hasn't been an issue so far um, in terms of the, the support that we've wanted to put in place for staff. And I think that's because the the strategy was absolutely clear, like the moral imperative to do something, the business incentive to do something, which is talked about a lot in the EDI space, but making sure that everybody understands that as a window and insight into a range of disadvantages and where the organisation is trying to get to, and then not paying lip service to that. So if we want to make a difference here, we're going to have to invest. So whether that investment was in my post, actually, um, or an act, a budget, I've always you know, gone back and said, actually, I need more. And pretty good at convincing everybody that EDI is all of our businesses. So even if the EDI budget was ever struggling, I've been able to go to others and say, well, I think you own a piece of this pie too. So let's let's pool our resources together. And that's where I think that collective power, collective buy-in to this is really important. So touch wood, for me, money hasn't been an issue so far. Um, but I am aware that it is an issue for many others that you know, EDI budgets are the first to go. There's lots of talk in different sectors as well, isn't there, about let's cut the EDI posts. Everybody should be doing EDI. But my response to that would be if everybody was doing it and doing it well, we wouldn't be having the nature of conversations that we are in society at the moment. Yeah. I think I think that's a, that's a fair response, and, and you're correct in terms of, you know, there's we we are living in unprecedented times where there's a lot of change happening, and that EDR budget is the first to go. So it's like, if that goes, what? How does that impact the workplace? And let's put it to you then, in terms of EDI, what does that bring to academia, to universities in in the UK? What is the advantage of having EDI like incorporated in different elements of academia? It's a worldview, essentially. We live in a globalised world, uh, especially po- well, if we can say post-pandemic now. We're so connected with technology to people all around the world that I think it's important to have an understanding of different cultures, different heritage, different perspective on the world, essentially. But certainly as somebody based in a science discipline, I think the benefit in academia of diversity in staff, in students and in what we teach and how we do research is that it means that our science works better for society. Um, And that must be the ultimate aim. Um, You know, so I think that is really more on the moral imperative side rather than um, the business case only. 
that science should work for everybody. Everyone should have a broad lens. Everybody should be aware of blind spots. Um, you know, you might not, of course, understand what you don't know, but being aware that there will be other perspectives and this is why it's good to be inclusive and to think about inclusion from lots of different ways. So in research, for example, it's not just about making sure that you um, include different voices of patients, for example, in my context. It's about the whole process of who's set those research questions, who's helping supervise the research and that it achieves its aims, to who's participating and how it's being disseminated to the public. Um, So I think that whole cycle approach and whole um, diversity in every single element really brings that we can have the biggest impact in society. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's um, from all the kind of research that you've done and all your experiences, um, it would be good to kind of understand in your opinion for organisations that are seeking to kind of promote diversity and inclusion, what kind of actionable steps do you think they can kind of take to empower um, their workforce? Strategy. I think knowing where you want to get to and having a genuine conviction to it and not just issuing statements that are, you know, essentially meaningless. Yeah. Um, And I would always say where people have spoken to me about, well, what do you think about sector X is getting rid of or saying they're going to get rid of EDI posts? Or can you help person Y who's, you know, doing EDI in their organisation? I think it's really important to understand that, we, we need to invest in this area and we need to invest at the right level because even saying, okay, I'm going to put EDI posts in and they're all the lowest paid jobs around in your sector is not a good place to be because it devalues actually how much you need to know about people, change management. All of these things are actually quite high level skills. So I'd say the first thing an organisation needs to do is recognise that it's a skill set and get the right people in. Um, And this may sound controversial, but that doesn't always mean just getting a person who um, is visibly diverse in some way, shape or form, because you may not have the theoretical underpinning or the actual skill set to lead that. Lived experience is really important, but when you're driving change um, and coming up against such resistance in some contexts, it's also important to have the underpinning skills or a commitment to invest in those to make sure that you've got the right person to help or uh, in, enable a bigger team around them and a bigger cultural shift towards that. So I think that's the first and most critical thing. Um, and then I think having those safe spaces is what's really, from my experience, helps. You don't need to write the strategy and the action plan yourself. Get your community of people to help shape that. So I'm really, really an advocate in my research and practice for um, co-production or co-creation um, because no one person is going to have all the solutions um, and it's not going to just take one one fix essentially it's going to take a lot of sustained effort and I think lots of different people together will have bring that mix of how could we a- approach this in so many different ways Great in terms of different people, different perspectives, different ideas, and that fosters creativity and innovation to problem solving, for example. And Shivani, you mentioned people 
uh, the word people uh, there, and I think that stood out for me quite boldly. So as a leader in academia and healthcare, how do you encourage your colleagues and team members to really embrace their unique backgrounds and experiences to foster that environment where everyone feels comfortable and safe in who they are and who they can be? So first and foremost, I think in teaching, everybody has an opportunity to bring some aspect of themselves authentically into that space, whether it's recalling um, stories, um, whether it's uh, bringing your cut. So I often bring my cultural heritage into the teaching sessions that I do with students. In fact, straight after this, I'm going on to teach about mental health across cultures um, and and. So that's a really important way. In the workplace, we also make it absolutely clear that we want to learn about and celebrate um, our diversity and we provide um, spaces to do that. You know, it's not something that staff are expected to do just out of hours. It's actively built into the everyday schedule. Um, And there's always a host of different ways in which people can engage. And I think opening up that opportunity to learn about um, lots of difference in society um, is is really helpful, actually, because people always come away from that energized. They've taken something, they've learned something, um, and and that I think has been a really powerful vehicle. It's about people. It's about connection. It's about togetherness um, and narrowing, not having a narrow uh, vision towards you know your everyday work, your practice, and these all these things just really help broaden the lens. And why is allyship so important then? That ties in, you know, you've got people, you want to understand them. So allyship, why is this so important to you as an individual, but also to an organisation? Because it's acknowledging, isn't it, that there are disadvantages that affect us all in different ways. And for some people that clusters together more strongly and it's taking a stance towards saying, actually, I don't think that's fair and I'm going to actively try and support you. And I have had times in in my um, career where it has, I was actually reflecting on this this morning, that it probably says something about higher education more generally, but it is mostly, I'd say at least 98% white men, white male professors who have helped me get to where I have got to and achieve what I have today. Now, I would now, in hindsight, label that as allyship, sponsorship as well. Um, But it's because they've stood up for me and in some situations actually called out that um, you're you're not treating her in the same way as you're treating everybody else in this meeting. Um, So I think that is really important because in, in some situations you don't have, because of the emotion that's going on as an individual, um, you might not feel empowered to stand up for yourself. So just knowing that there might be others there as well who are looking out for this. And allyship is not only about, um, you know, intervention as a, a bystander. It's about in every situation you're committing to bringing a different lens to make sure that the decisions being made in an organisation have the best um you know, have all the people at its heart, not just a select few. Yeah, I think it's also with allyship, it's understanding your privilege as well. So people that can be allies, they need to kind of understand where their kind where their position is and the privilege that they have in order to help 
some people that might might need it a little bit more so yeah 100 percent agree with that so we always end our episodes with a key takeaway so what would your kind of key takeaway be for our listeners so thinking about who might be listening to this podcast uh, you might be someone who's um, interested because you want to pursue a career as uh, a leader in the space of EDI or people culture inclusion type remit or because you want some hope as someone affected by the kinds of issues um, that are being discussed that the future might be different. So certainly for the leaders out there or future leaders out there, I'd say get comfortable with being uncomfortable because this is not an easy space to work in. There will be challenges, um, practical challenges, emotional challenges, um, all the kinds of things that we've already picked up on. But I think what you need to do is to always not follow the path of least resistance, understand why you're doing what you're doing. Most people will come to that because they get a personal joy, sense of accomplishment for trying to disrupt the system. And so stay true to that, because without that, nothing changes. So I think, yeah, that would be my don't follow that path of least resistance. Be what you were meant to be. Disrupt that practice. Wow, Sharada, you couldn't close out this episode with that. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. That is amazing. And I'd like to say thank you, Shawani, for coming on the podcast and your energy, but also the how raw the conversation's been. We appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. I just I just want to say, yeah, thank you as well. You share some really kind of insightful points um that I'm sure the the listeners will really, really enjoy. Um and yeah, thanks to our listeners for joining us this week. Make sure you're following our podcast on Spotify and feel free to kind of give it a rating and review on Spotify as well. Thank you and keep your eyes peeled for our next guest. Thank you again and we'll see you next time on Diversity and Inclusion. Satisfying the tick box.